Hello and welcome to Contra Mundum. I'm your host, Pastor Andrew Isker, and uh, with me is my co-host, uh, CJ Engel, uh, joining us from a remote location. Uh, it's secret. I think he's actually in, you know, on, on scene in Ukraine at the moment, so that's why he's not able to get uh, video here. He's just just here with audio, so you don't get to see CJ. You don't, and I won't be able to see his face when he lies to me about uh, sending me the Greco gum. Uh, but uh, also, we have our guest with us today, John Harris, uh, from Conversations That Matter, a very popular, successful YouTube channel and podcast. Uh, so we're very happy to have John uh, join us. Welcome, John. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, CJ. Angle, of course, is a very Ukrainian name, I hear. So yes. Angles <laughs> go way back into you know, the Donbass or something. Yeah, you, you have your family has a coal mine there, right? Is that is that correct, CJ? I'm German, man. <laughs> I was you don't even play along. Ingles. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. That is a German <laughs> thing, though, not to play along like that, to just give me the facts. Yeah. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Very efficient. Very Bring efficient, CJ. That's right. Wonderful. Well, um, you know, the first thing to start off with uh, with our conversation today, um, we're recording on Thursday. And just yesterday, Wednesday, uh, we had an... Uh, another of seemingly endless indictments of former President Trump. And this one is, you know, the most absurd and ridiculous yet. Uh, he was indicted over, you know, four counts uh, regarding January 6th. And so they want to, you know, make it like he he incited a deadly insurrection. And and uh, and it, it was the, the indictment counts are, are strange. I don't know if you guys have, have read them at all, but they I mean, one of them is. You know, interfering with a, an official government proceeding, which that is extremely vague. Uh, what you know? What does that mean? Interfere? He gave a speech, right? That's literally all he did. He gave a speech and then tweeted telling people to go home, right? Don't do violence. Don't do anything bad. And so that nevertheless, they're indicting him over it. Um, and uh, they're also using the same statute. They charged him on the same statute that they they successfully prosecuted Ricky Vaughn over. Um, it is this like obscure federal law that was written to, um, reign in the Ku Klux Klan, uh, in like the 18, you know, 1860s or 1870s. And so, uh, they, and of course they're going to try him in Washington, DC and the judge that is presiding over him has handed down all of these sentences that are even more, um, go beyond what the prosecutors asked for in terms of sentencing. So it doesn't look, does not look good, uh, for the president, but, uh, yeah, tell me what you guys think about that. What are, what are your initial opinions off the bat about the uh, the indictment, what it means, and 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 what it means for the country uh, going forward, especially as we get closer to the election? Well, it's funny. I saw we we were talking about what's your name, Nancy Mace, last time, mm -hmm. and people were saying, you know, it's it's crazy that you know people will go out and vote and support for Donald Trump when he lives this immoral lifestyle, but she says when you know, she, she let slip this one, you know, thing at the, at the prayer breakfast yeah. and everyone's all over her. It's just hypocrisy. They don't realize <laughs> that what's going on here is the reaction to the regime's war on their enemies is sort of who we rally around. And Trump yeah. is a proxy figure for the American people. Um, I don't think in any ideal world, people would choose you know, Christians or conservative, you know, right wingers, which use Donald Trump as sort of their ideal. But for for good or for bad, he is the person that represents 
all of their angst and all their frustrations and all the things that have been scorned on them over the last 50 years, he represents that. And so, of course, the regime's going to attack him. Of course, the regime's going to seek to undermine and trip him up at every chance they get. And that's exactly what's going on. So I have the same opinion as I did last time. This is what they do yeah. to him because this is how they react to the spirit of the of the uh, heritage legacy Americans. Yeah, what do you think, John? I, I don't know if I even have words. It's just surreal <laughs> and it's crazy. And uh, I mean, the, une the unequal weights and measures have been going on for so long, but it's at a breaking point now where you wonder whether you can even take any government proceeding with any modicum of seriousness at this yeah. point uh, on the national level, because uh, they're clearly motivated not by truth or really anything other than trying to maintain and expand their political power. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of a depressing thought. I, I think that's mm -hmm. probably part of the reason that I haven't read a lot about it just because I'm like, mm -hmm. I saw the headline and I was like, yeah, <laughs> like it's pretty mm -hmm. terrible. Um, yeah. I don't really know, like as an individual person, it's hard to know what, what do you do about that? Like, do you show up in DC and, and start, uh, you know, storm the Capitol again or something, but, uh, no. um, <laughs> no, probably not a good idea to do that. Right. So, so, so it's, I, I think for the average ordinary Americans, like the only thing they can do is CJ rightly said is support Trump through this. And I think that is part, even motivating me to want to support Trump. And I don't even like a lot of the things that, uh, as CJ just said, some of his moral behavior. Uh, but, um, it's like, if they're going to do this to him, then like they can't get away with it. And I think that's the sense that a lot of people have. They just, we can't let them get away with it. And, and electing Trump would be a way to like not let them get away with that. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, I think thinking about it in terms of like the, just the 2024 presidential campaign, um, which has kind of been, you know, it's extremely boring because um, DeSantis was supposed to be this, you know, um, potential, you know, rival that might unseat him. And, and his campaign has been just a joke. Um, it's been really uh, poorly run, poorly managed. They, it, it's fallen flat, you know, in, in so many different ways. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was commenting on this a little bit uh, today online and, you know, DeSantis is pulling at like between 10 and 15% right now. He's behind uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and, uh, and it's, and it's interesting why, um, because you have this, this base of support that Trump has within the Republican party, which is, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35% of GOP voters are just, he's the guy until he's not running anymore. He's their guy, no matter what. Um, and, and so like DeSantis's campaign strategy has been so pathetic because he, he's done everything that all of the, you know, more obvious regime aligned candidates like Mike Pence or, uh, the goofball from um arkansas uh what's his name uh i can't even remember oh, so is it art something oh asa, asa hutchinson asa, asa there you go. uh yeah <laughs> and so you have yeah you have <laughs> a something it doesn't it doesn't he doesn't matter but um you know guys like this we'll never hear from him again so yeah they, they attack you know they attack him and they go after him like he's this horrible terrible guy and um, DeSantis's campaign has been basically to do the same thing, to attack Trump, to attack, you know, his failures and, and, and things that I, you know, frankly, I, I agree with a lot of them, right? That here's how Trump messed up this thing and that thing, the other thing. 
Um, but what happens is the the Trump voter sees attacks on him in the same way that CJ is talking about that it's a proxy. It just it, just within the um, paradigm of of the Republican race, right? It's a proxy for an attack on them, right? They see him them attacking Trump. They see DeSantis attacking Trump, and it's no, they're not attacking him. They're attacking me, and and so that's why you see like Vivek, uh, who has never attacked Trump. And a lot of people think he's just a proxy candidate, like um, running uh, on the same side as Trump, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and and he never attacks him. He just cl- keeps climbing the polls. He's always attacking, you know, the issues, the regime, even uh, a little bit. Um, he he's attacking the the problems that are just so rampant and obvious. Um, and it's like he is running the campaign that DeSantis should have been running. And it, it becomes obvious, like just even DeSantis's response or really non-response to the indictment where he's like, oh, we we need to end the weaponization of, of the government and Justice Department and, and so forth. And it's like, yeah, man. And how are you going to do that? You're going to you have to do it by like right now showing this is all a sham. It's all fake. And if I become president, I'm going to immediately pardon on every single count uh, Donald Trump day one. First thing I do. And and then jail everyone in the justice department like that needs to be his campaign and he would he would climb in the polls doing that but he's not doing it he's not yeah. saying those things he's not saying any of that which tells you like okay why did he run in the first place who prompted him to run and make him run for president when it didn't seem like a good idea and it's like well it's the donors it's the people in the republican party that wanted an alternative to trump that wanted to get rid of trump and so the the gop voters they're not stupid Right. They have really good instincts, I think, actually. And they see that they see this. They see that here's this guy who is running as this alternative to Trump that somebody wants to get rid of Trump and, and put him and make him the guy. And um, it, it, it just becomes really obvious. Right. The, the, what we're up against is it's not about this man Trump or that people have. Uh, oh, it sounds like uh, are those tanks rolling in around you, CJ tanks in Ukraine? Um, I, I heard some tires squealing, maybe, maybe some APCs, uh, surrounding you. Make sure you're safe. Are you, are you, are you safe? Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you, you see these things happen, um, that it's not, I mean, so many people are like, oh, it's a cult. You guys just love Trump and think you could do no wrong and things like that. And it's like, that's such a low IQ take. It's like, I don't, I've always said like, he's not my ideal guy by any stretch of the imagination. Like it's, he's not the guy I think. Oh man, I love him so much. He's so great, even though you know he's very funny, and I, I appreciate the humor. Um, it is that this is a proxy war against Americans, right? That's that's what it is, and he he stands in for us, and them jailing him is is like jailing the eighty million or seventy five million people that voted for him, right? They can't throw us all in prison, at least not yet. Um, so the next best thing is taking him down. Right. That's that's what this looks like. That's what it looks like to everyone. And so, I mean, part of me, just like for entertainment's sake, maybe. Um, and and you just kind of want to like chaos max a little bit is, boy, it would be fun to see him win the election uh, in a in a jail cell. You know, that would be that that's where America is at right right now in, in so awesome. you know, current year. <laughs> I mean, it's like I mean, I don't forgive me for making the. The reference to Nelson Mandela, but it'd be like Mandela being free from prison and, and uh, becoming, you know, becoming no, this something is, like that. Yeah. Before. I mean, like, yeah, it's 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 criminal to oppose the regime. 
And so any legitimate right-wing figure on the that's serious in the future yeah. is going to have been indicted. He's going to be a criminal. He's going to have been yeah. put in jail or, um, you know, been confronted by the State Department. That's sort of the what we should expect. Um, and Trump's the cutting yeah. edge of that, that type of figure. So, yeah, super based. I, I'm down. Yeah, you know, I love it. I hope, uh, I mean, if they are actually, I think they're supposed to arraign him and maybe take a mugshot. Like if, you know, they haven't taken any mugshots yet. And so I'm like, let's go. Get me, can give you me imagine, that mugshot. Like, I'll wear that t-shirt, you know. <laughs> can you imagine him replacing Benjamin Franklin on the $100 bill with his mugshot? <laughs> <laughs> yes. When we win. When we win. That is what we will do. <laughs> All right. Let's get, let's get John to weigh in now. Andrew yeah. Josh. Yeah. That's right. I don't really have much to say. I just, I, I guess, I mean, the only takeaway with the race is that in order to win on the Republican primary, you would have to be more hated by the media than Trump. And that's yeah. not a position that any of them seem to want to uh, try to compete for. They, they really want to, they, they, they're like satisfied to let Trump be hated by the media. Mm-hmm. And they'll kind of like not say uh, or not do uh, things that are considered as extreme or radical. Um, but they think that they can still somehow appeal to the Republican primary voters by giving better reasons or, you know, edging Trump out in some area where he wasn't quite as polished or he wasn't quite as good and they were or they can be. Uh, and, and that's just like not knowing what time it is. And I would say that applies to probably every single person who's running for the Republican nomination, including Vivek. Uh, he, yeah. he, he he's young and fresh. That's what everyone says about him. And I get that, but uh, he's certainly not competing for the position of let's be let, let me try to get more hated than Trump. Like he wants to, um, he he wants this fresh positive vision. And I just don't know that where where in the 1980s Reagan Republican Party era. Where, I mean, that's where where the Republican Party is stuck in some ways. They think that that's the vision that's going to get them elected. And in 2023, when we're pretty much at war, even though it's somewhat of a cold war. Uh, got it's gotten hot in places, but it's it, it is a war. Um, it's not the 1980s anymore. And uh, yeah, I think that whoever's going to get the Republican nomination is going to have to be someone who is very brave, who is very willing to risk it all and suffer deprivation uh, to prove their legitimacy there and, and to prove that they actually have the interests of the people at heart and not just their own. And people see that and recognize it. And it's the only metric they have for measuring whether a candidate is actually going to do a good job or not, because uh, they've heard a lot of talk for years and it doesn't amount to anything. But once once there's actions put behind it and you're willing to risk your neck and you have skin in the game, I think people respond better to that. And that's what the other candidates are failing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, speaking of uh, Trump, uh, (laughs) speaking of Trump. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. We talk about, um, you know, especially stuff that John you know, talks about and has really good uh, commentary all the time uh, about is, is big evangelicalism. And in, in particular, right within the context of, of, of current politics and the current conflicts ongoing, um, it's, you know, you see um, these, these big evil leaders who, to a man, they all, they all, you know, elbow each other out to see who can condemn Trump and Trump voters, um, you know, the, in the most strident terms. 
Uh, and probably the leader of the pack is uh, Russell Moore. We've talked about Russell Moore uh, several times, and we'll keep talking about him because uh, he's he's one of the big leaders of this. But he just came out with a new book, and John is is working on um, a review of it, of this this book of of Russell Moore's journey. You know his his journey uh, throughout evangelicalism and all of this kind of stuff. So tell us about Russell Moore's book, so we don't have to buy it, uh, John. <laughs> what do you what do you what do you think about it? Uh, Russell Moore is basically writing a book to, I think, justify himself and the people who think like him that operate or have operated in evangelical organizations. So it's obvious that especially after 2020, there's been a big split in evangelicalism and a lot of the popular uh, pastors and, and leaders who aren't pastors have lost big swaths of their audiences uh, because their audiences don't trust them anymore. Now, th this isn't really unique to evangelicalism. This is also happening in the medical establishment and in journalism and in academia and all these places. But uh, but I think, you know, more he, he's kind of insulated into the, in this evangelical world. And um, and, and he approaches it like uh, with, with the idea that he's never really changed, that he's always had pretty much the same principles, although he kind of waffles on that at certain points in the book. But there are at least two places where he says, hey, I didn't change. We didn't change. Um, but people were radicalized. People were they, they followed Trump. Uh, they uh, decided to get online during the COVID-19 uh, issue, and they were disconnected from their communities at church. So they became radicalized by online conspiracy theories and and so, uh, so, so this is it all turned out to be true, it. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of it yeah. did. Yeah. Um, and, and so they ended, so he ends up saying that like, that's the reason that there's so much division. It's not, it, it's kind of like the reverse of the standard breakup line. Uh, it's not me. It's you. I mean, that's really what yeah. he's saying. It's yeah. not me. Yeah. It's you. And it's you. Uh, I, I think the title of his book is, is, I mean, you don't even have to buy the book. You really do know this book by its cover. He, he's saying that yeah. evangelicals need to have a come to Jesus moment. They, there, he, there needs to be an altar call for evangelical America. So uh, it, it insinuates that we don't really have the gospel. Uh, we've mm -hmm. sacrificed it for a false political gospel that supports Trump and excuses bad behavior and embraces conspiracies. Um, and I mean, it, it's kind of a funny book in a way because it's so outlandish. There's so many hypocritical things Russell Moore says, like things that he accuses other people of that he himself is doing. Uh, there's there's so many inaccuracies that he puts out there as if it's just an established fact. Uh, like like one of the, like he says like during January sixth, people threw down their American flags and and, and picked up uh, or they, they they yeah they threw away their American flags and replaced them with Confederate flags and what was the other and, and Trump flags. And I'm thinking like I was there. And there was tons of, there was more American flags there than at any leftist protest. Right. Oh, ever, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just, I don't know. I don't where, like, where is he getting the information? Uh, I wonder sometimes that he's probably just reading the New York times and believing whatever they said about it. And, and it's just like, it, it's that kind of stuff. It, it can really gaslight you because so much of it yeah. is like, he accuses you of being crazy. And yet he says crazy things. And it's, you're like, wait a minute. So, um, so I think it's just a big self-justification book for him. He, and it just really, I think, stands to demonstrate his own self-awareness. Uh, there's really nothing, there, there's no content in it. There's like no, no nothing yeah. new, nothing interesting, really. Uh, yeah. it's, it, it's like 
something he had to do in order to just keep his name out there and make sure he could do the rounds again on left-wing podcasts and stuff. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, this, you know, CJ and I, we're, was it last week, two weeks ago, there was a Russell Moore article in like the Atlantic and he, um, and there was like nothing there. We thought about like reading it on the show and it's like, this is going to bore everybody. It's just all of this flowery evangelical, um, vague you know, general Jesus yeah. talk, you know, it's like Jesus jukes everywhere. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't say anything concrete. And that's, that's, that's the rhetorical style that these guys have always used, which is they, they know how to wrap things in this very holy, uh, churchy language. And, and, and it, it allows them to, to deliver um, regime approved talking points and perspectives um, to Christians. That's, that's the whole function of, of all of this. And, and I mean, on one hand um, I think he's right. Right. I think his analysis is, is somewhat correct. He has always been this way, right? He has always been um, this, you know, center left figure within evangelicalism and um, the people, the average layman, has moved to the right, uh, has become more self-consciously right-wing uh, because people, I mean, you look back to like 2015, nobody was talking about globalism as a, as a thing, as, as, a, as an idea, as a thing that we were, you know, um, within, uh, you know, a, a, a way of viewing the world, a system. Uh, no one even talked about that. And now people are fully aware of it. That they don't they don't want us to have nations or borders. They want us to just be generic human beings across the planet that are inter interchangeable with all the rest of the eight billion people in, in in the world. And that's I mean that that's Russell Moore's vision of of Christianity is supporting that that type of of world. And so now people are reacting to that and seeing that this is not good. That these people hate us. They want us to just be cogs in their their economic machine, and they want to have a country again. Right. That's that's what he's reacting to that, that the, no one's listening to them anymore. I mean, you see this, like, um, uh, you know, the gospel coalition, um, does not, I mean, despite having, that was like 75,000, uh, followers on, or subscribers on YouTube. And, you know, they barely do better than our podcast on most of their videos. It's, it's wild, man. Like they, um, nobody listens to anything these guys have to say. And, um, it's, it's telling, like you, you see it on Twitter too. Like the, the only time anyone even talks about TGC is when they say something utterly preposterous and they get ratioed to the moon. Um, that's the only, you know, interaction they get online. It's, um, it, it's interesting, but at the same time, um, all of the pastors throughout the country, not all of them, but the overwhelming majority of them, um, this is like the feeder system that they, they get their worldview, they get their, um, how, just their talking points, everything, um, you know, from these guys, from Russell Moore at Christianity Today, from, you know, what David French says. And so there still is a tremendous, tremendous amount of influence from the top down in that way, but it's not, it's not direct to the people anymore. It used to be, but it, but it's not, I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you think about that in terms of like the sea change that has happened since, you know, 2015, 2016 and, and through, throughout 2020? Um, and, and what does it mean you know, what does it mean going forward, um, especially in these in these denominational battles? I mean, we talked about it a little bit with like Aaron Wren talking about the split between fundamentalists and and whatever, you know, Big Eva or whatever you want to call them. Um, but what does it mean, you know, for the next 10 years? Where, where are things going to go? 
Well, I don't know if the dust has completely settled yet, so I'm not sure exactly where everything's going to land. But I think you see right now there's uh, rising. I don't want to say stars because it's in Christianity, but, it's (laughs) you know, there's definitely rising figures who uh, like Joel Webin. We were just talking about Mm -hmm. off air how he's got a successful YouTube channel. And and part of it's because he's a pastor. He speaks with authority. He speaks plainly. He doesn't do the word salad thing. Uh, yeah. I think I, I think there's been two stages so far. The first stage was 2020 uh, and mm-hmm. people woke up uh, to yeah. what was really happening with their leaders, whether that was their local pastor or just the evangelical industry as a whole and where they consumed information from the f- figures that they had trusted. And, and a lot of that trust was broken, uh, mm-hmm. at least for politically conservative evangelicals. Um, so that was phase one. I think phase two is hap- we're in the middle of right now, and it's a lot softer, but it's um, it, it is going to be determinative because mm-hmm. what's happening now is the people who kind of woke up to the fact that so many of their leaders were corrupt are now seeing those same tendencies in some of the people that they thought were against those leaders. So in other words, mm-hmm. people who in uh, leaders who in 2020, uh, like an Owen Strand, for example, like some of the G3 guys, like, I don't know, they, I could probably go on, but there's, there, there are figures who, um, who, who weren't like hard woke, but they, mm-hmm. uh, maybe their, their critiques weren't, didn't, didn't go all the way or at yeah, least they weren't. As, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. um, and, and so you've actually brought up the example of like Russell Moore's word salads, but if you read some of these guys, I'm not saying all of them, but some of you, you're going to see the same thing. It's the same kind of way of talking. It's the same. And I, and I think that there's a distaste that especially young conservative men now have for that. And they can smell it when it's around them. They, they know what it is. They don't even have to know exactly what you believe or they just they can hear the talk. They know that that's like that weak TGC type talk. And they don't care if you're against wokeness or whatever. You're you're not someone they're interested in. They want plain answers. They want straight talk. They want people to have skin in the game and have uh, somewhat of a masculinity about them. And so I, I think that's why um, figures like uh, Doug Wilson, to some extent, um, is, is and even Doug Wilson I, this week is interesting because even Doug Wilson is now um, on the ropes a little bit for two things mm-hmm. <laughs> that that he said that were uh, well, one of them in particular was a culture war thing. It wasn't even something he said. It was just a book Canon Press was putting out there that uh, had some problems. But um but that wouldn't have happened even like five years ago. I mean, Canon Press would have been seen as like they're on that far right extreme in evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. And now like they've kind of like I think with this this uh, opening, they've kind of mo- whether they realize they're doing it or not, they at least their position is more moderating now and mm-hmm. appealing to a broader group of people. Um, and then you have guys that are even more on, farther right than even Canon now starting to get traction. And so I, I don't think there's any way to bring these two groups of people together. There's like, it, it, it's like you're on a tectonic plate and it, I mean, you're, you're right over the crack and they're, they're moving away from each other. Yeah. And there's some people that are stretched out really, you know, a lot right now, but they're not going to be able to maintain that. They're going to have to jump to one side or the other. So I think it's going to be at the end of the day, it's like, do you want the Russell Moore side uh, or do you want, um, you know, the, uh, the more, I guess I'll say Joel Webbins type of side, not, not that he's even a major figure yet, but I think he might, he, he will be potentially. And, um, I think so and too. the people, yeah. 
the people in between, I just don't think that they're in 10 years from now, we're probably not even going to be talking about them. That's just my guess, unless they take a side. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, CJ? Are you still there? Are you okay? Are shells coming down around you? Yeah, I'm I'm good. I was on mute. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh. with John. Go ahead. <laughs> was that it? Okay. All right. Well, All right. we'll agree that great. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think um no, I think you're right. I think that um yeah, there there are there there is this these fault lines that are really obvious to a lot of people. And, and I, I see it too. Like Joel, you know, we talked about it before um before we went on air here, but uh you know, Joel's gonna he was he's the one getting attacked like crazy the last couple of weeks. You know, he's attacked over his book, and then you have, have all these other guys attacking him, and it's it's funny because like they'll they'll just say like the most vicious stuff, they'll accuse him of being a heretic and 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 things like that. Yeah, and then when he defends himself. Right. And he, and he did it kind of a, a, a funny way. Like, you know, that the goofball in Alaska, Nathaniel Jolly, uh, who deleted his account. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, he made fun of him. He's like, you could get a discount on the, uh, the conference or whatever by using this promo code. You know, it's like, it's, 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 which it's is a common stuff. practice. I know it's a joke, man. Like learn to take a joke. Uh, he's not the like, first oh, one to come up with that. And some people were oh, like making it yeah. out like he was or something. Yeah what i can't believe yeah. he did that uh and it's like come on uh that's unbecoming of a pastor unbecoming and like i mean these these people take themselves so seriously and and like if you defend yourself against them or if you just even joke around about how stupid all this stuff is um it could be and, and again speaking in this very plain language this is stupid this is dumb uh why are these people attacking this way this makes no sense you don't have an argument um you know people are attracted to that Right. Very attracted to someone who just comes out and says what they mean rather than saying, oh, brother, oh, my brother, uh, that is that's not holy to to speak that way. We need to have the fruits of the spirit. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, come on. Yeah, come on, man. Like it, it's so obnoxious, like uh, especially like Christian discourse on Twitter and online is you have these guys talking that way. And it's like, just say what you think. Just, just flat out say it. You don't have to or, or dress you it just, up in this language. Or you, you know? post Bible verses, right? That like, you know, <laughs> the subtweets yeah. of Bible verses that somehow seem to relate to whatever you were talking yeah. about. And they paint your enemy as the devil or something. But you're not going to yeah. come out and say that directly because that would break a taboo. Yeah. It's well, like, that's like, I mean, that's, that's like Moore's book, right? Mo Russell Moore's book has this paragraph in it. Yes. I started making the rounds where he's clearly talking about um uh james wood who is like within the online circles and everything like the nicest guy the most mild-mannered guy he's not like me where i just you know just you know uh fire you know fire away whenever um you know james Wood very he's a he's a scholar he's a professor he's an academic very uh restrained very careful and and and, and all of that and more just like Attacks him. Of course, he doesn't name him because he's a coward. Um, but uh, on the issue of winsomeness, right? Because James has talked about this and has had, has you know, really kind of picked a side, like you said. Like James has has taken the side where this the winsome winsomeness thing is 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 a total crock. It's fake, and it, it's this it's used to cover you know really just being left wing. Uh, or 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 espousing you know Christianized left wing positions, and uh, a more attacks him over this, and you, and you see this all the time. Like these, the, they they do that. They they attack people, and they use they use this kind of language to 
to show how holy yeah. they are and how what good people they are. And and they're just snakes, man. Like they they um they are manipulative. Like that's what they do. And they and it's it's very it's very effeminate actually to to operate in this way. And and I think that's why I mean that's why people are attracted to Doug. That's why they're attracted to Joel. Um, that's why they're attracted to to all of our guys is because you just I mean, like, uh, AD, uh, uh, you know, uh, Robles, um, our, our friend, uh, I always pronounce his name right because I, I don't, uh, I only speak English, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, they, they're attracted to guys that just say what they think, uh, and are honest, right? This is what I think about this thing. Um, and, and, and so I, I think you're right that that will continue, that will continue to, to, to grow. Um, I, but at, at the same time, the thing that makes me a little bit concerned about the future is, you know, institutions really matter, right? Institutions are very important. Uh, seminaries matter. Uh, denominations matter. I mean, they're, they're mattering less and less as time goes, goes on, but they still really do. Like the, the PCA, the Southern Baptist Convention, all of these institutions um, are, are very important. And it, it seems like, and, and, and I, I want to get your read on, on things, but I mean, it seems like we're just not going to be able to make much headway in these denominations because they're just so entrenched in it being on that other tectonic plate. And, and so what, uh, how do you see things going? You know, I mean, like you said, the dust hasn't settled. These battles are still ongoing, but um, um, where, where will things be at in 2033, you know, with the uh-huh. denominations? I think right now it, it is like what we were talking about initially with uh, like Pence attacking Trump, right? So these kind of moderating figures supposedly who don't see the divide as something that uh, can't be breached, can't be like brought together somehow. Um, they will, they'll go about the business of attacking people though, who are on the, on the right, who, who are hated by every institution pretty much they'll be on the institutional side even if they themselves claim to be in the abstract against wokeness or whatever so that that i think that's really what our denominations and seminaries are primarily made of or people like that and maybe the word that you could use as managers they are not really leaders they're managers and they've been taught a particular style of managing that seeks to elevate um the well the success of the institution is based upon whether or not they have smooth sailing at the institution and, and if the, if it's stormy if there's uh if there's controversy if the, you know the eye of sauron looks at that institution from the media or the government they failed and so yeah. they are about the business of really trying their utmost to be in the good graces of those in power while supposedly maintaining these orthodox convictions, which won't be, you, you can't do it. It won't last. It's not possible, but that's the only thing they know. And because they're not actual leaders, they're, they're managerial elites. Uh, they, when, when the going gets tough, they're probably going to compromise or find other places that they can go and survive uh, somehow. Uh, they're not going to be innovative or bold and, and find, you know, they're not going to see the problem and try to find ways around it. Um, so that would, I think, leave in, in 2033, the people left in Christianity who are still 
and I'm talking about authentic Christianity, the people who are left yeah. trying to make a difference um, and let's say promote seminary level training. Uh, so, so pastors can actually be supplied to these pulpits and Christian education and that kind of thing. Um, they're going to be the ones who didn't mind uh, getting canceled. They're going to be actual leaders, not managers. And I think there's going to be innovative, creative, and localized ways probably of approaching some of these things. Um, so will, will there still be seminaries? I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be theological institutions. They'll just be more compromised. Will, will the Southern Baptist Convention still be around? I'm sure it will be. Um, and, yeah. and I don't want to rain on the parade of guys like Josh Abatoy who are really yeah. trying to reform the institution. And I'm kind of glad they're there just, you know, as Absolutely. a way to like let people know what you're doing is wrong. But I don't really think that long term he's they're not. I, I actually had a conversation with Josh the other day about this. I said, OK, let's say you take over the denomination. You win the presidency of the SBC. Who do you mm -hmm. staff the positions with? Who do you stack the boards with? You yeah. don't, you just don't have the numbers. It's like Trump no. during his first administration. Who does he hire? Who's got the qualifications? There is no one in some of these yeah. positions that actually share his political views. So if you're going to take over the SBC, um, you're going to have to figure out a new factory to produce elites or, or, yeah. or, or go to different watering holes. You have to figure out something there. And, and that's well, exactly what I like, yeah. think they have. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you took over, um, like if, if tomorrow we made John Harris, the president of Southern Baptist theological seminary, like who would you bring on to be professors for all of the different departments? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like they, those guys don't exist yet. Um, either right. be some, there'd be some really good guys. We know, we know some, some very good, you know, um, some very good guys, but what would you do? How would you do that? I mean, it, it, the numbers are not there like institutionally. And so that's, that's why I'm like the, the it's not, it's not an either or thing. And, and CJ and I have talked about this where I'm, I'm very much of the position that a lot of church, like the future is, is going to be um, independent churches and like loose confederations of, of aligned uh, churches working you know together that denom like denominations are, are, are already not as important as they were 20 years ago. Like people don't look for, oh, I need to find a church in XYZ denomination when I move to this town. That's not a, yeah. a big driving thing like it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and, you know, I've talked about it. Like one uh, uh, one one guy I know um, was, a, was a pastor in Boulder, Colorado. And after he left the pastorate, he, he still maintained a ministry there. And he would talk about how, and here's this like liberal city that's 30 years ahead of wherever America is going to go. And he, he talked about how, you know, all the pastors there and their various, even like liberal denominations, like United Methodists and things like that. Um, they were all the most conservative people in their particular denomination that were there in Boulder because like the antithesis forced them to be right. It's such a liberal place that, that, that they had to be, and they all had way more in common with each other than any of them did in, in their own respective denominations. Um, and, and I think that like in the local sense will continue to play out. Um, and, and so you're going to have to have, you know, fairly independent um, alternative institutions. You're going to have to have like, for me, for example, um, you know, I, I went to my, my seminary training was in, in Moscow. It was, uh, it was under, you know, the aforementioned Doug Wilson, and, um, there was a program where it's not accredited, but it was still seminary level training. We, we got Greek and Hebrew and, and went through the Westminster confession and we went through all sorts of systematic theologies, things like that. Um, 
And so some people are going to be like, oh, you see, Doug, Doug said this crazy heterodox thing this week. So you must agree with everything he says. Uh, but, um, but it was, it was a phenomenal education and it, it, and one thing that it showed me, um, as I've surveyed the landscape since, you know, and I've been in the pastorate for a while is there are guys all over the country that have MDivs from, you know, big shiny MDivs from these schools and their education is not impressive at all. Like I'll, I'll talk about some theological issue that, that isn't like deep in the weeds or anything. And they'll look at me like I have three heads. Like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of that before. And yeah. I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> You've never heard of this before. What you went to, you went to seminary, man. Like they didn't cover this. It's and really class. bad. Yeah. It's, really yeah, it's, bad. it's astounding uh, how poor yeah. the education is. And maybe they, maybe they did cover it and they still graduate these guys that don't know anything. Uh, obviously they, they do. Um, and, and so I think the opportunity is there. It's kind of like homeschooling almost where it's like my, my kids are homeschooled and like my nine-year-old is testing at like a, you know, ninth or 10th grade grade level in reading and math. And it's like, um, and it's not like she's some super genius with 180 IQ. It's just, she's actually being taught the material and, and being forced to do the work and actually learning. And so hmm. it's, it's the same kind of thing where if you have these independent seminars, yeah, it can go, it can go sideways, right? It can be, you can get into real crazy stuff and not, not actually learn, but the potential is also there for you to just totally outshine anything that's institutional right now. Yeah. That managerial model, it, it's also a model for certification. You know yeah. what you're doing because you got the certificate that says, you know what you're doing from someone else who got that same certificate before you. Yeah. So it is this kind of guild that forms based upon the institutional associations that you have, which equals time, allegiance, mm -hmm. and money. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all it is. It doesn't really equal knowledge anymore. And that's what it, it, it like like it's it's kind of like printing money that has no backing, which yeah, like people warn that that's gonna catch up to us. This is the same thing. We're producing these certificates that don't actually don't mean anything they're not they're worthless um they just signal what group you're part of but they don't actually say that you know the material and and this is particularly bad in, in evangelical seminaries where uh, i mean i i graduated from one so i i don't think i learned hardly a thing at my yeah. in my seminary experience um i learned much more in grad school i learned um, much more even i think even in my homeschooling uh and, and undergrad than i did in seminary and it did bother me. I mean, I, I did learn a little bit of Hebrew and Greek, but that was because I didn't like those things. And I mean, I probably could have learned it on my own if I actually had the motivation. That was like one area that was weak for me, but um, which is part of the reason I went. But but on the other, like, there were so many fluff courses. Like we had spiritual disciplines course. It's like, why am I taking this? I, I, I sit there for three hours and I, after I'm done, I'm like, well, I guess I should pray. Praying is a good thing. Like, <laughs> that's what I learned, you know? Um, or like, yeah, a, or how much did that course. cost you? How much did that co that class cost? I, you? I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. it there's a, <laughs> a you know a leadership course, and it, it, and it's like, oh well, today we learned how to make our churches more diverse so that we can have people from all ages and races uh, attending. And it's it's like this kind of stuff is yeah. it's fluff. It's not worth anything. People know it doesn't actually have much application in the real world, and um, and this is a crisis. I think if you actually know seminary admins and they're you catch them in an honest moment they'll tell you this um yeah. i remember when i was at southeastern and i'm sure it's worse now this is like a tw 2017 2018 
Um, I remember a professor telling me that they had so many guys leaving the seminary, taking churches, dividing those churches over stupid stuff, having moral failings. Uh, they had to implement all these fluff courses that tell you that you should read your Bible because that's good for you. Um, and it felt it feels like youth group again uh, because yeah. they're having all these character issues. And these and, and a lot of it, too, is I mean, th there really wasn't a, much in the way of academic, uh, academically challenging material. But it's it's worse once, you know, you only have what, 160 credits or so for, you know, however many it is. And now you're taking some of those academic courses. You're dropping hermeneutics. You don't have to take that. You, you don't have to take a third theology class. So so it's this mm -hmm. dumbing down. Um, and, and we're seeing it at Truth Script right now, which is a, a blog that I helped start. We have pastors, MDiv pastors submitting articles and they're barely legible, some of them. And it's like, I, I don't know what to say. I'm just like, uh. We have some good writers, but some of them, I, I just, I don't, I feel bad. Like I don't have the time to yeah. coach people, but I'm like, you should have learned to write at seminary. How yeah. come you're in the pulpit somewhere? How is this possible? So no, anyway, it, that's my rant, ran over. <laughs> yeah, man. No, no, no. It's astounding. Like I, I just think about it. I mean, I think about it. I, I wrote this uh, in my book. The book is coming August 15th is the, uh, is we don't have the link yet for pre-orders, but stay tuned for the book, the book, the Boniface option is coming. But I, I write about this like, um, you know, you look at there's the famous like 1898 entrance exam to Harvard University, and it has questions on it about you know classical history and and uh, you know like calculus and and trigonometry like complex math, and this was the entrance exam that 18 year olds had to take in order to get into Harvard, and you would be hard pressed to find anyone who graduates from Harvard or even gets a grad degree from Harvard that could get 10 percent on that exam, right? It's, 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 it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. This is the standard that they said, all right, this is what an educated 18 year old should know. And it's mm -hmm. far better than the most educated people today. And um, it's the same thing I think about seminary. It's like, what would you have learned in like um, the late 1800s at Princeton university at Princeton seminary, right? If you were going to seminary at Princeton, um, how academic, I mean, it would have been, most people that go to seminary today anywhere that graduate in the tops of their classes, right. That, that are the valedictorian of their seminary class would have flunked out of Princeton um, mm -hmm. easily. You know, they would not have, they wouldn't have made it. Um, and I think about that when you have, right. So in, in that sense, right. When you have difficult, rigorous academics, you have the opportunity to do that once again with more independent institutions where I can, I can be as hard on my own kids you know, my wife can be uh, homeschooling them and, and make them take Latin and make them take difficult things that they're not going to get even at a Christian school, uh, at a good Christian school, and make it harder for them and, and try to replicate those conditions that existed 100 years ago. And I think you could do that same thing with independent seminaries. That's, that's the kind of stuff we have to do. But this these alternate institutions and, and, and more micro institutions, things like that, have to be working in concert with guys like Josh Abitoy and others who are trying to you know, retake institutions. It isn't, it isn't an either, or it's a both. And where if you ask like, where do we get the guys that are going to be able to staff these things and, and take them over and, and do well, we have to mm. make them ourselves, right? We have, we have to produce them and it's not going to be through the institutions that we make them. Uh, it's going to yeah. be outside for the most part. Um, and, and so I, I want there to be more guys like me that, that got a very rigorous seminary education through a, alternate pathway um and because 
that's that's the only the only way that we're going to uh, move forward into the future is having parallel you know institutions that that create leaders um but yeah. what what do you think cj are you still there are you still alive i'm here yeah no i was just thinking about my own experience because i do the same thing as you and homeschooling has been sort of a natural reaction uh, i also want to emphasize that it's sort of a state of emergency reaction you know yes. and, um you know there's when i was a libertarian you have this you know every every parent should be doing it themselves and it actually is a state of emergency, though. It's not this ideal yeah. that, that, that we should have to do this because there are sociological, culture-wide effects of having these mass-produced children. There is an actual harm, and it is something that needs to be addressed. It, needs something, it is something that needs to be institutionally confronted. And so it's not something where we can just go hide in the caves and educate our children and you know, know that they will have the ideal education and stay in the cave. That's not how civilization functions and that's not how culture is restored and so that's something that i've been paying attention to as well and there's a lot of good co-ops and a lot of good groupings and it doesn't cost a lot of money especially with the internet to, to have these resources at your disposal um but at the same time too we can create new institutions and that takes time i would also i also wonder whether there's a role out here there's Maybe I shouldn't name it, especially with my strategy here. But there's there's a, there's a, a like a franchise of private homeschool um, groupings, and I just wonder if like people getting involved in that and having this balance between involvement and just kind of biding the time because the boomers in charge or like the Gen X people in charge, they have sort of a like a classically liberal demeanor, just this natural tendency to just be. Um, less confrontational about the world and the role of education and shaping the culture and all that. And I wonder what role there is in just biding your time and spending 10 years heavily involved in changing that institution slowly from the inside. That has to play a role in this too. This is the way that Western civilization was subverted. It was just moles, you know, over the last 75 years. And so we think a lot about creating new you know, institutions and competing with the legacy ones. Um, but there also needs to be a role in um, transforming what is within our reach, you know, too. So I think that's an also a strategy that's not talked about a lot. We talk about like the homeschool strategy, which is kind of the head for the hill strategy, which I practice. Mm -hmm. There's the start new institutions, um, which is sort of the new founding thing, which is good too. But there's also the, um, you know, what institutions and <clears throat> organizations are there that aren't perfect, but maybe can be made improved over the next 10 to 20 years too. And I think that there's you know, it has to be this sort of like marching through the what already is there, not 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 through the public schools. You're not going to change those. That's don't no. don't send your kids to death pits. But I do think <laughs> there is a function there in um, just just taking over and sort of radicalizing, so to speak, institutions that are already have been trying to compete over the last ten years, but haven't been doing as good a job as maybe needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is. There's a ton of um, low-hanging fruit out there um, as far as institutions. I mean, some of it is like, I mean, you could be in a, a, in a smaller evangelical church where you're not going to be able to change like the DNA of that church completely. But as the as the boomers are, you know, go by the wayside because they're never, you know, it's it's interesting about that generation is they don't they they don't give things up. Like I think Aaron Red wrote um, online recently that uh like al moeller took over 
Southern Seminary when he was younger than all of us here. He was like 34. Um, I don't know how old you are, John, uh, but uh, 34. He was like our age. Yeah, he was our age, right? Yeah. Uh, when he takes it over. And could you, can you even imagine anything, any institutional power being given to someone our age, you know, to millennials um, anywhere? No. Never like it, just just to be like the lead pastor at one of these big churches, you got to be forty or fifty years old um, before they they hand the reins over to you. And so that's I mean that's one of the big things is um, that you know we really haven't talked about, but I think factors in here is you have this glut of of young uh, energetic men that have not had this easy pathway into institutional power that are having to you know. Um, you know, exercise their, their skills and abilities and, and competencies in, in alternate ways. Um, and, and that's, I think part of the reason why, um, things are going this way, why, why we have, you know, when we, when John talks about these tectonic plates and the shift and everything is that a lot of the very talented young guys are on, you know, are on that, the, the, the right wing plate, um, and are beginning to distinguish themselves and, and show, you know, that they got it. Um, and, and so I think, I think that's a big part of it too, is the legacy institutions. They're all run by older men that are refusing to give up any power, refusing and refusing to raise up any leaders to take over after them. Like in 10, you know, yeah. we talk about 10 years from now, um, all of these guys are going to be old, retired or, or no longer with us. And who is going to take over for them? It's, I mean, it's going to be like the kind of guys who are our age that are just sycophants right. That are just lackeys that are like, you know, these managerialists that are just going to try to keep things on an even keel and everything else. They're, they're not going to have any actual genuine leaders and they don't, they don't have any, like who is, who is like, who are their leaders that are saying anything that, that is, um, you know, not even provocative, but, but have, have any kind of vision for the, how, how things are going to go and have, have anything that stands out. They don't have anybody at all. That's, I mean, that's, to me, that's a pretty big white pill, uh, honestly. Sorry, CJ, we're handing out white pills today, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's a big, it's a, <laughs> it's a big white pill that they don't have any leaders. They don't have anybody that can catalyze people and 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 lead them in 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 new directions and and energize them and get them going and encourage them. They don't have anybody at all. Like you, you saw it like twenty years ago when there was the young, restless, reformed era. You had guys like Mark Driscoll, and to a certain extent, what's what's the guy who's in Dallas? Fort Worth area, Matt um, Chandler. Yeah, he was supposed to be the next big thing. Yeah, you had guys like that, but they've all, you know, they've all gone by the wayside for various reasons, and they don't, they have nobody, they have nobody at all. Yeah. So, um, you know, so it, you can, yeah, you can argue with me now about the white pill. You could argue with me now about the white pill, CJ, if you want. But uh, um, what do you think about that? You want me to argue against the white pill right now? Nah. <laughs> <You're the guest. laughs> Yeah, we don't have enough. We don't have enough time for you to argue about the wife. But uh, I mean, yeah, what? But um, I guess regarding that that other plate, you know, and, and it's it's funny because like you'll have these people in the cheap seats kind of sniping and saying, oh, all these guys, all the Christian nationalists, they disagree with each other and they can't, they don't have a unified vision and they're always fighting about things. Um, do you see that? I don't. I don't really see that. I think people are pretty much rowing all in the same direction. Um, despite, you know, various differences, some guys are more theonomic than others or, or whatever, but, um, what do you, what do you think about that, uh, John? Yeah. I mean, I think that 
that attacks have consolidated people who maybe would have seen themselves as different before, but now they realize that they have more in common because they want some just very basic common sense things. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's where the whole um, the slogan uh, you know, Christian nationalism gooder than trans and kids comes from, right? Like, can we yeah. can we actually like gather around something as basic as we shouldn't trans kids? And yeah. and, and that's becoming like weirdly enough, you couldn't have told me this a decade ago, but that's becoming a source for Christians to unite together. Um, and and they don't they'll put down you know the arguments that they've had over other things, or at least consider them not to be as important. Um, so I, I do see that there is a united front forming the i think the question is what who who are going to emerge and what institutions from the people that emerge um are are like is that process going to happen where people actually we have like identifiable leaders i think that's starting to happen but we need more mm-hmm. um and and institutions from them or at least some kind of like a a way to um like draw the proverbial ix this fish in the sand when we meet someone else and be like, Oh, like we, we do that a little bit now with like, Oh, do you listen to this person or do you read this person? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but having like a, some kind of a professional certification, something more substantial is going to be needed. Um, and to CJ's point, like the, I, I think it would be great. Like if you could take back some of these institutions, here's the problem I see with it. And this is the challenge. So a lot of these institutions, I would say the majority of them probably have at early stages ways to kind of like dump the people that they don't want. So mm-hmm. if you have a backbone, if you have a conscience, uh, if you see right and wrong and you take the right stand, there's going to be opportunities at very, very early stages for people to recognize that. And the corrupt middle managers don't want you around. So they will yeah. make sure they stick you out in Siberia or, you know, Ukraine with CJ right now or something. And that you won't <laughs> you won't be heard from again. And uh, you won't climb that ladder. The only people that get keys to the powerful positions are the ones that play ball. Yeah. And that's just how the, it's set up. So mm-hmm. that means it's extremely hard. I, I mean, like I had this discussion with uh, Redeem Zoomer is the guy's name, but uh, yeah, yeah. he's. He, he wants to take back. I mean, his idea actually sounds to me almost like more doable than taking back the Southern Baptist. He wants to go to dead denominations that have no members and then be yeah. like, well, let's just bring a bunch of friends in or something. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's make we, we only need a few people and we can take over this church or we can take over this denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have all these resources. And it's like, I get that. The problem is um, how are like, 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 how do you how do you have a hostile takeover? You know, like, how do you have a mutiny um, when all the, like you, it would take years to get to those positions. So this is a problem that I don't have worked out and I'm not sure exactly how it works out. I do think God's in control though. And I think a lot of this stuff kind of solves itself organically. I'm not saying not to work towards these ends. I'm just saying that like with technology and, um, and, and with the, the greater strain that's coming from, the uh, pagan elites, I think that there's the demand is just going to increase and something's going to boil over. I think at some point there's going to be like, it's inevitable because that's just the way as CJ said, humans rea- interact there. There's going to be uh, networks of people who trust each other 
and recommend each other and they will form training centers and it might not be a seminary. It may be something that looks different, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's already somewhat happening. It just needs to like amp up a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, yeah, like my own personal experience, like I, uh, I moved back to my hometown and the, the church I grew up in went to was a Wesleyan Methodist church and the pastor there who had been there for 25 years was, was, was getting very old. He was turning 80 and wanted to retire. And he was, he was like a Pentecostal. Right. And uh, so it's this, this tiny little church in the Wesleyan Methodist denomination. And he said, well, Hey, do you want to take over? You're, you're not in ministry right now. Do you want to take over this church? And I, you know, I agreed to do it. I, I, uh, you know, love those people and wanted to, wanted to take over, uh, pastoring there. And, um, you know, I, I start meeting with the denominational guys, the leaders and stuff. And they're, they're saying, okay, well, you know, the, the previous pastor, he, he didn't affirm women's ordination and he was kind of grandfathered in. But for me, in order to be allowed to take the pastorate, I would have to affirm when positively women's ordination. I couldn't just, you know, quietly disagree and we do our own thing in our church. It was, no, you have to subscribe to this um, in order to, to be here. And uh, so the church just voted to leave the denomination. And, and so we, uh, that, that's what we've done. We're an independent evangelical church now. And, and, you know, that's, that's uh, what we will be, you know, going forward. And so I think in terms of like taking over churches, like, I think that'll happen. I think you could do that. I mean, that it, it worked out okay for us because we were able to, you know, negotiate an agreement to keep our building and things like that. And, and every situation is of course, very different. And some of these churches, they have big, beautiful old buildings that are owned by the denomination and not the local congregation. And so you're not, I mean, it's the same thing as like, you know, the PCUSA when, when Machen left, right. It's all the, the pastors, all the reason, you know, the reason there, the possibility of reform wasn't there is because all of the pastor's pensions were owned by the denomination. And so if they left there, they, they would be destitute uh, into retirement. And so, um, you, like you said, it's very difficult uh, to do these things, but I think there is some opportunity there to, you know, to take over these dying, you know, graying churches. Um, but that that's one strategy. There has to just be a, a multiplicity of them. There have to be a lot of things going on all, all, all together. Um, and, but, you know, I remain, you know, really optimistic, especially because, um, yeah, like nobody saw 2020 coming, right? Like 2020 was this very clarifying moment where you really saw where the rubber met the road. Um, my, my own church has had a lot of people come to it since 2020 because they're discontented with how things shook out in, in their churches. And, and that'll continue to happen. Like there's going to be like this 2024 is going to be very similar. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, what they're going to do. I mean, we could be, we could be at war with China or Russia or, or both um, this time next year, you know, or, or who alien. knows what could happen. Yeah, that's right. Really, it's, <laughs> it's right. And uh, we can have an intergalactic war going on. And, um, and, and so who, who knows, who knows what they'll do? I mean, obviously they the toothpaste is out of the lockdown tube. So they'd love to do stuff like that again. Um, and, and so who knows what's going to happen, but what we do know is the existing structures, the existing institutions will fail the people again. They're going to fail and they're going to fail even more miserably than they did the first time. 
And that will be opportunity for people to be in Russell Morris or more radicalized online. Uh, that'll be opportunity for our people to continue to grow and continue to take over and 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 build things up in the future. Uh, but yeah, that, the hour is late. It's very dark. Uh, things are things are not good. But it's encouraging to see that people are are beginning. You know, a small segment of people at least are beginning to see there is an alternative. There's something that we can do. We don't have to just surrender and always lose. Right. That's 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 I think the big key takeaway, right, in terms of like being white pills a little bit, is there's stuff that you could do. You could be devoting your life to these very difficult battles and and start to get little wins and start stacking up these little wins uh, together and, and then you see what other people are doing elsewhere and 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 working together with them. Like that's that's the encouraging thing is it's not over that there's still a lot of fight left and that, that we can still win. And like you said, God's in charge, God's in control. And the church is in the position that it's in. I mean, the church has been in rough places before, right? This is not the first time that the church has been in uh, a very dark spot. And what does God do in those situations? He raises up men to lead his people. That's what he does. And, and so we're, maybe we're seeing that now, right? That's, that's, that's how I look at it. What, what do you guys think? Uh, we're almost out of time, but what do you guys think about uh, that? And, and as far as the future goes and what, how it looks. Go ahead, John. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I was about to say something very similar to what you said. I think it's about trusting God and then realizing that he's going to raise up leaders. If you look at even biblical stories like Moses, uh, I mean, he was doing his own thing <laughs> far away from Egypt as a shepherd, living a happy life. And uh, the Lord calls him, even though he doesn't think he, he even has the skills to do what the Lord's telling him to do, to go lead uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. You have David, who was, you know, the one passed over. Oh. He wasn't, we lost CJ. Okay. We lost CJ. Uh, Hopefully he's okay. I, I think <laughs> a Russian mortar just went into his yeah. uh, bunker. Hope you're but, okay, um, CJ. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, like there's, there's all these stories, um, of God using the weak things to shame the strong and it really comes down to virtue. Like are people going to cultivate virtue that matters a great deal more than the seminary you go to or the connections you have. If you're a virtuous person, that's going to shine. People are going to see it. They're going to build trust. Uh, and you're going to have, uh, it's worth way more than the paper a degree is written on. You, you will have, um, authority and uh, the ability to do great things. And I think yeah. like, that's the more, I, I think that's the white pill. That's the exciting thing is there are people that are starting to see this. They want virtue. They, they, they're not going to be the kind of people like in Machen's day that sit back and say, well, my 401k is here, you know, my retirement's here. Yeah. No, they're yeah. going to say, you know what? Money's money. Eternity's mm-hmm. a lot longer. I'm going to go do the right mm-hmm. thing. Um, Russell yeah, Fuller hey, did that, you know, but th- there was, there was a few people that have done that. It's just rare, but you know, the hope is that that becomes less rare and that, um, yeah, that, that there can just be some really bold, brash kind of, uh, you know, in your face, like, where's your God? Is he in the bathroom? <laughs> like Elijah type <laughs> of, uh, you know, yes, uh, energy. And, and I think there is, I think it's out there. I think it's, uh, it's waiting to come back. And, and that's really Stephen Wolf's point with the Christian Prince that like there, there's going to come a time, like the need will be so great people are going to be desperate for a leader. And that's, that's when you see some, something like the Christian Prince arise. So is this stuff all possible? Sure. It is. Sure. It is. Yeah. And, and, and the thing, I mean, um, yeah, there's a couple of things, you know, with what you said there that I think 
you know, are, are really good. Like, uh, you know, our friend uh, Nate Fisher, he often talks about just in terms of the context of, of what he's doing with new founding and things like that is that, um, you know, talking about trust as the currency of credibility going forward. And, and how do you gain that? It's by, by signaling cost, like signaling that you have stuck your neck out and risked things for what is true and good and right. Um, that that's, that's what's valuable, right? That's how you, you gain trust with people is saying true things that nobody else wants to, wants to say. And everyone's terrified to say out loud, or you say true things and people are going to listen to what you say, right? Whether or not you have the big shiny degree or anything like, or, or have the, the, uh, the sinecure at, at some seminary or, or big church or something like that, they're going to listen to Cause I, I, me, like people listen to me. Um, and, and I think, well, why do, why do people care what I say? Like, I'm just, a a pastor of a tiny little church in rural Minnesota, right? Why does anybody listen to anything I have to say? And it's, it's because I will say things, you know, I'll say what I think and I won't beat around the bush about it. I'll just come right out and say it. And, and things that I say have cost me um, in the past, right? It's, it's cost me opportunities. It's cost me um, oh, same. You know, Absolutely. different careers, you know? And, and, and so that, that signals what you have to say is valuable. Right. Because you care about what you're saying more than you care about what it's going to get you. And yeah. um, all of these managerial guys, like they'll just say what they know they have to say. Like that's I've always said, like, oh, could I have been, you know, some big mega church pastor somewhere? Like I could see the pathway to doing that. Um, and I know exactly the kind of stuff I would have to say and not say and 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 how to be a good little boy and, and you know, climb the career ladder as a pastor. But I could never do that. I just, I constitutionally cannot do something like that. I have to say what's true. I have to say what's right. And, um, and I think the time has come where um, those are the kind of guys who are going to rise above with, with, you know, everything else going on it, are the guys that are saying what's true that have, have, have signaled that they have paid costs for what, you know, paid the cost for, for what they have to say. And, um, I'm, I'm dude, I'm super encouraged by them, by you and by so many other guys that are, are willing to say what's true and are like, you know what? I don't care. I don't, I don't care about Egypt and, and all the nice things that Pharaoh has. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right for my people. And, and, and that I think is, is what is, you know, going, you know, God is going to reward um, in, you know, going forward into the future is the, the men who have that mindset that, you know, like God be true and every man a liar. Um, those are the ones that are going to, you know, yeah. build big Amen. audiences and, and lead, lead the church into the future. It's not, it's not going to be the, it's not going to be the Russell Moore's. It's not going to be the Mike Cosper's, uh, talking like NPR voice, like guys like that. It's not going to be those people, you know, they're, they, they are going to lose. Right uh, now and in the end, uh, they do so lose down here. Yeah, yeah, they they do lose down here. We're gonna win. That's right. right? We are right. going to win. Um, and and so, yeah, man. Like, uh, I I don't I I think we're out of time. CJ just bounced. He just left. He said, "I'm I'm done with this." Hopefully, he's uh, alive. Yeah, uh, he's. I think he's okay. I think he'll be all right. He's going to make it. Um, but uh, yeah, at, we're we're coming to the end, you know, here and. 
um, obviously, you know, your podcast conversations that matter, you know, I think everyone that listens to us probably listens to you already anyway, but if they don't, they should, <laughs> they should uh, listen to what, what you've got to say. Um, and, and what else you, you, you mentioned, you're doing this review of Russell Moore's book. So everyone else you're, you're taking the bullet for us. Thank you. Um, so we don't yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, time and Klein had, had already done one. Um, and I, you know, if I would have coordinated, maybe I wouldn't have, but, um, I haven't <laughs> read his yet. And uh, I just decided to um, listen to it. I was doing some yard work and I was like, I'll, I'll start listening to this book. And um, does he read course, it? You know, it or makes does he you... at least have a, does he read it himself? He reads it himself. So, you know, you, you get so angry while you're doing the yard work, you, you do it more effectively. That's your right. Blood pressure's up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'll probably post it at TruthScript, TruthScript.com. Yep. Um, I was thinking of American Reformer, but now, you know, it's not time and already got that. So um, I'll probably post it Next at TruthScript. And, uh, and it'll be shorter, I'm sure. It'll it'll describe what the book's about. But yeah, TruthScript is another place. So yeah, websites johnharrispodcast.com, truthscript.com. Um, you can go to laststandstudios.org. That's uh, I'm making a few documentaries. I, I'm doing way too many things, to be honest with you. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you are. I'm glad you're doing all this stuff. Uh, I really yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah. All, all all the stuff you do, all the work you do. And uh, for me, you know, I have I have more articles coming out for Gab News. I wrote I had one last week. Um, you know, really about kind of the stuff we're talking about here right now, um, about the church and the future and, and the things that are happening. Like I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about, uh, things that are occurring right now because you have, you have all of these guys who are being radicalized on the internet, like young guys who like grow up in non-Christian homes. They never went to church and like, they realize, oh, yeah. oh like Western, oh, yeah. Western civilization is good and Christianity is what, you know, built that yeah uh so maybe i should like find someone who like actually believes in jesus like the people who built western civilization and so like you have like million literally millions of young guys who are directionless and are looking for i mean they'll listen to andrew tate or jordan peterson people like that and they don't have any anyone to any any christians to give them any real guidance that they can can follow um and you're, you're starting to see you know, leaders rise up to, to lead them. And it's, it's very encouraging. So uh, I, I wrote about that and I have, you know, the book, the Boniface option. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll have to get you a, get you a copy once the love that. You know, yeah, advanced we'll readers are going. Uh, and you know, that that's going to be out here. Uh, hope, you know, we've, we've set a date for August 15th and we're hopefully going to be able to fulfill that. Uh, so people can begin pre-ordering that soon. And I'll, you know, you'll see the link everywhere. Everyone will be annoyed by it. Probably all the shilling of my own book that I'm going to be doing. But, uh, you know, I'm very excited about it. It's it's uh, the Boniface option and it will be, you know, it, it will be a, a critique of all of modern life and how Christians should confront it right on an individual level and on a, on a wider level as well. And so uh, I hope you all really like that as well. But, uh, yeah, that's all the, the time that we have uh, for today. And I want to thank, uh, John for, for joining us and, and uh, CJ as well. Uh, he didn't get to plug anything, but you, you all know where to find CJ stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, for, for me, for CJ, for John, thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next time.